Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Let's open together to 1 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> and our text will be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. As we move out of 2020, and as we move into 2021, what is it that we should focus on first of all? We take our title this morning from the first three words of 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all. What should the church's focus be first of all in 2021? I appreciated the chance to be away last week, and I appreciated Wayne's message on uh, having that I having that heart focus on Jesus in the middle of all storms. I loved being able to watch, uh, I think it was Eric and Paul, read the scripture and have Wayne open that up. I didn't, I didn't exactly live stream because at the very moment that you were live streaming, I think I was in line for Dumbo for the third time with my grandson. But later that day, I did watch it, and I appreciated that message. And uh, as, as I'm taking a little step away from James, I want to spend two or three weeks on this theme of what should be first of all. Coming out of a year that has been relatively contentious and even a little bit scrambled and confusing, what should be our focus first of all in 2021? And I want to read verses 1 through 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And as an outliner, I'll answer these three questions. What should we do first of all? That's verses 1 through 3. What should we know first of all? That would be verses 4 through 7. What should we do first of all? Verses 1 through 3. What should we know and make known? Verses 4 through 7. And what should we avoid? Or what should we stop first of all? And that will be verse 8. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, <coughs> godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. First of all, church, what should we do? First of all, verses one through three. What should we do? First of all, in a word, pray. In a word, prayer. Second, what should we know? First of all, or what should we make known? First of all, and that's verses four through seven. In a word, Jesus. In a word, the Savior, the only mediator. That's who we should know, and that's who we should make known. And finally, verse eight, the ESV puts verse 8 as the beginning of a subsequent paragraph. I like to take it also, or maybe more properly, as the conclusion, because I think that it, the emphasis from verse 1 connects with verse 8. What should we avoid, first of all? Verse 8, sin, or in a word, disunity, sinful anger and quarreling. And so we look together at 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 8, first of all. 
Those first three words in verse 1, first of all, Paul, as the mentor, the teacher, the leader, is writing to Timothy, his student, who's kind of a junior executive in this thing, and he's telling him how to handle the church and how to be a godly pastor in the church. And he says, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people. Now, I don't think Paul means first of all in the sense of time, like if you wake up at 6, make sure you pray at 6.01 and then have your breakfast at 6.03, or in or order of time in a church service, like call to worship, prayer, and then this and then that. This phrase, first of all, means first of all in gravity, first of all in import, first of all in priority. If we're going to get at the beating heart of what the church ought to do, first of all, it's this. She ought to be a people of prayer. Let this place be a house of prayer for all peoples. First of all, if we were to ask the question, what is the goal of the Christian life? I suppose we could answer that question in several ways. What is the goal of the Christian life? The glory of God, the getting to heaven. What is the goal of Christian life? The goal of the Christian life, according to the conclusion of Romans 8, is Christ-likeness. God inaugurated the plan of redemption so that Christ would be the firstborn among many brethren who became to look exactly like him through the miracle of redemption. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, becoming like Christ. If the Christian life is a life, and the goal of the Christian life is becoming like Christ, then we have to figure out what is it that I can do day by day in my life that will help me to become more like Christ. And I'm telling you, church, it's prayer. Prayer is when I open up the inside of me so that I can become more like Christ. Prayer is when I open up my soul so that it can be exposed to the holiness of Jesus, and he can cleanse me and change me. The goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. The goal of the Christian life is knowing Christ, enjoying Christ, loving Christ. The goal of the Christian life is an obedient conformity to Christ that springs from love for Christ. Actually, the goal of the Christian life is obedient conformity to Christ, which springs from the experiential knowledge of Christ's first love for me, of Christ's prior love for me. And so I'm conformed to him as I have greater and greater exposure to the reality of his great love for me. Prayer expresses our love for Christ. Prayer is where we take all of the loose ends of our lives and we bring them into the presence of the great love and provision of Christ. Prayer is the open secret to a godly Christian life. We say open secret because there is no secret to the Christian life. God did not mean for how to live the Christian life to be some weird secret that no one could figure out. God meant to make it very plain. So he says, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. First of all, prayer. Anyone who has an admirable Christian life 
has a life of prayer. I have been privileged. I I trust you have too if you're a covenant member of this church. I have been privileged to personally know many people whose Christian life I admire. They have made a deep impact on me. That's true of my life for decades now. Day, Day before Christmas, my phone rang. It was a number I didn't recognize, so I let it go to voicemail. And when I listened, it was a guy that I probably haven't talked to in 25 years. My friend Greg, who mentored me from the time I was 17 until about the time I was 20. Greg took me to the garment district in downtown Los Angeles, had me fitted for my first suit I ever bought, which I'm sure I couldn't fit into anymore. But Greg taught me how to pray. He taught me how to repent of sin. And he was just calling to tell me that he loved me and he was thinking about me. What a blessing to have people in your life who who show you what it's like to pray. Anyone who has an admirable Christian life, anyone who's a, who, who's a mentor to whom we would aspire to be like has a life of prayer. You know, Martin Luther said that his Christian life was what it was because he prayed for an hour every day. He said, I pray for an hour every day, except days when I'm super busy and things are super difficult. Those days I make sure to pray two hours. First of all, prayer. We could say that verse 1 is all kinds of prayer. We could say that verses 2 and 3 are all kinds of people. You see, verse 1, he lists these four terms for prayer, and at the end of verse 1, he says, for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. So first, all kinds of prayer. We have these four terms for prayer in verse 1. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings. What do these words mean? Supplication is many times translated beg in the New Testament. It means to have a desperate need, a lack, a longing, and to make that request known and to beg that it would be met. Hear it. In the voice of the leper, Luke 5, verse 12, there came to Jesus a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. That's our word. Begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can do this. That's to supplicate. That's to make supplication. Or hear it in the voice of the Father in Luke 9, 38. I was just with my daughter my son-in-law, my two grandkids, what, if they had a need, I, I, I would gladly throw all of my dignity out the window and beg that that need would be met. Listen to this father in Luke 9, 38. A man from the crowd cried out, Oh, teacher, I beg you, look upon my son with pity. Behold, an evil spirit has seized him, and he suddenly cries out, and he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him, and it will hardly leave him alone. The need of the father, his love for his son, makes him beg Jesus and make supplication to Jesus. Paul says, church, first of all, beg God like that. First of all, supplications. Second word in the ESV is translated prayer. This is our plain New Testament word for prayer. It includes the idea of reverence, of bowing before God. We fold our hands 
I'm sure I was taught when I was little to fold my hands in prayer for the simple earthly reason that it would make me quit pulling my sister's hair. But the, the, the reverence of prayer in verse 8 is going to say lift up holy hands or to bow down on your knees or to stand before God but, or, or to go down flat on your face. This is the idea of reverence and worship and adoration. Prayers, the third word, intercessions. This is to ask one in authority to hook you up. You intercede by going to one in authority and requesting that they use their power and authority in a certain way to accomplish something for you. Interestingly, this word is used several times in Acts. We're going through Acts in our ABFs now. I hope you don't miss out on that. A wonderful book. In Acts, like in Acts 25, interestingly, this word intercede is used uh, of... So Paul's uh, in jail, and the Jewish leaders intercede with the Roman governor to do Paul extra dirty. They intercede with the authorities and they say, use your authority to cut this guy's head off. Well, when we intercede, we intercede to the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords, and we ask him to use his authority to accomplish his good purposes. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. We ask a good God to use his omnipotence to accomplish his good will of salvation. So we intercede for the mission of the church to make and train disciples who make and train disciples. And then finally, the fourth word, don't miss this. We focused on this already in our communion time, a wonderful word, thanksgivings, thanksgivings. If prayer is a, a ribbon, Thanksgiving is the, the end of the ribbon where it's tied in a bow. We make an intercession, we depend on God, we see what he does, and then we give him thanks. If he did exactly what we asked him to do, we say, thank you, God, for doing that. If he didn't do what we asked him to do yet, we thank him that his wisdom and timing is far better than our own. But it always concludes in gratitude and thanksgivings. Two pages over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, it says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I don't know how often I meet with people and they, want it, they have a decision to make and they want me to help them discern the will of God. Hello? This is the will of God, that you quit complaining and start giving thanks. And then buy this car or that car, take this job or that job, as long as you're a person who's no longer groaning and complaining, but who's giving thanks to Almighty God. Give thanks. So these four words for prayer. And we, a church like ours, a Bible church like ours, does word studies. If you, if you teach in our youth ministry or in one of our ABFs, you, you're familiar with a word study and helping to define the words. We don't, we don't do that so that the words can stay rightly defined in a dictionary somewhere. Church, first of all, this year, first of all, this year, what if each of these four words was not written down on a note page, but what if each of these four words 
was what your relationship with the living God was like hour after hour after hour of every day. Oh, what would it be like to experience this kind of dependence upon God, this kind of thanksgiving to God, this kind of a a heart with, with desires that are met in God and his provision? I tell you, 2021 is going to present its share of hurdles, viruses, train wrecks, setbacks, problems. But what would it be like to have this kind of of communion and relationship with God where whatever happens, instead of freaking out and getting mad, instead of freaking out and getting afraid, instead of like depending on your own gumption and strength, instead of any of that, you had a stronghold and a shelter to run to, even God in his omnipotence and his goodness. Intercessions. What if everything you needed and wanted, you brought it to God in prayer? Question. How many of you, you you're, basically your life got burned because you wanted something and you went after it without asking God about it? Or how many of your adult children or your grandchildren or people whom you've mentored They wanted something and they went after it, but they never made it an intercession and a supplication and a request to God. How much grief would we save ourselves? How much of the scorch and the stench of difficulty would we save ourselves? If in 2021, every time you wanted anything, you stopped and you said, God, this is a a want of my heart but I only want what you want for me. So I'm lifting my request to you and saying, God, you bring it or you withhold it. I trust you. And what if that word thanksgivings became a part of your emotional resonance in your relationship with God? Not not one day a week, but multiple times every day. I tell you, thankful people, they are my favorite people. They are so fun to be around. I find them immensely attractive. They just have like a a childlike joy. When something good happens, they're like, isn't this great? And you're like, what? The coffee was the right temperature, so what? But they're just so happy about it. And on the inverse side, complaining people, no matter how many uh, Hollywood beauty contests they win, complaining people are always unattractive. Entitled, easily set off people are ugly people. But grateful, thankful people are always a refreshment and a beautiful source of joy in one's life. What would it be like to be known as a thankful person who didn't utter a complaint in 2021? Man, every, I, I, yeah, you see the same like lists and stories that I've seen that in the last couple of weeks. Every story that I've seen summar, summarizing 2020 is a list of complaints, every single one. Like, you know, what, what about a resolve to complain less and give thanks more? So verse one, all kinds of prayer. And then the end of verse one into verse two, all kinds of 
people. So he says all people in the end of verse 1, and then he, he picks out one significant type of person for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This week, uh, Lord willing, unless, unless the Lord comes back, this week Congress of the United States of America will meet to certify the electoral votes. The election which we were very contentious about before it happened, now has happened. And in my experience, the contention has only ratcheted up. Do we accept the results or not? And everything's like just another reason to, 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 um, to fight about things. And some of those fights are worth having for our neighbor's good and for, the, for, for a righteous standard. And yet, don't forget that here the emphasis is The fight is a fight in prayer for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Never forget Daniel 2, verses 20 through 22. When you see see anything happening in the presidency or the Senate or whatever, remember Daniel 2. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. There's no deception and no secret that's hidden from God. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells only with him. So church, two truths. One, from Daniel 2 and from 1 Timothy, God is sovereign over all rulers, all transitions of power, and every event that is reported on the news. Truth number one. Truth number two, God calls the church to pray for the rulers and the events that are happening in the news because the prayers of the church can have a decisive outcome in how we live our lives. According to 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, I believe, or we believe, according to 1 Timothy 2, 2, that prayer makes a definite difference in national affairs in the decisions of governing officials, and that through prayer, the church can bring about in society uh, answers to prayer and circumstances that are conducive to fruitful gospel ministry. And we ought not neglect this opportunity that we have to make a difference. God calls us to pray for rulers so that the decisions that they make can have an outcome, verse 3 and 4, that leads to furtherance of the gospel ministry of the proclamation of Jesus as Lord. Get that and believe that. The reason that we want to stay informed about the news is so that we can pray. And the reason that we pray is the so that. The reason that we pray in verse 2 for kings and all who are in high positions is so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, because this is good in the sight of God our Savior, because he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why we, if you watch the news, that's why you watch the news. Get that and believe that. 
I heard somebody say on a podcast last week, I, maybe you don't agree with this. I agree with this wholeheartedly. Somebody said, our problem is there's basically 30 minutes of news that happens every day. And every day, that 30 minutes of news is semi-reported. And then also, there is 23 hours and 30 minutes of spittle-flying, crazy-inducing commentary about that supposed 30 minutes of news. And we wonder why we're so crazy. I'm not saying these things are unimportant and you shouldn't be informed about them. I'm saying you should recognize the reason that you're informed about them is not so that you can yell louder than the next guy. The reason that you're informed about them is because it is good and pleasing in the sight of God who wants all people to be saved that you would know how to pray that you and every covenant member of the church can lead a quiet and godly and dignified life so that our neighbors can see the reality of Jesus here. Be informed so that you can pray, so that you can trust God with it all. And the reason we pray is, end of verse 2, so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Godliness and dignity. Godliness, vertical. Dignity, horizontal. That is godliness, my the integrity of my relationship with God, dignity, the integrity and respectability and trustworthiness of my relationships with my neighbors. I pray that everything that happens would enable me to maintain a godly relationship with God and that everything that happens would enable me to be the kind of trustworthy neighbor that people around me see and respect and actually like. It actually says that we want to lead a peaceful and quiet life. Sometimes our idea of being a radical Christian is a little too loud and a little too busy. We want to lead a peaceful and quiet life. If persecution, it's almost like Paul saying if persecution comes, and there's no if about it, Paul has told us persecution will come, may come in 2021, may come a little later, but persecution will come. When persecution comes, let persecution come because we were leading quiet, peaceful, godly, dignified lives as servant-hearted citizens of whatever country we live in. Don't let persecution come because we were obnoxious, rebellious, angry people. Let it come because we simply want to love God and love neighbor. I love how get this church, I, this is, I'm, I'm addressing a, an, a real concern for churches like ours. The concern is that sometimes we narrow down. You're, you're going to leave this service and go into ABF and the people in your ABF are going to share prayer requests about their health and their financial needs and you're going to pray for each other. And that's good. But sometimes we narrow down to only us, Right? or we work on our children's ministry, or some of you classical education, or you work hard with your kids, and you should. But the danger is that you'll narrow down and your only concern will be your, your kids. See how, see how this move is here? Verse two, that we can lead a peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified life, but watch. As soon as it's us and our concerns, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everybody everywhere to get in on what we have. 
There is no narrowing of concern in the church's prayer. There's only a widening and a broadening of it. I love that. I remember reflecting, maybe with you, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I talked about this with the pulpit or maybe I was just talking about it with myself in my head, I don't know. When, when we had a close uh, in March or April or whenever, I remember reflecting, it, we should be praying and living and worshiping in such a way that it is really bad for our city to have our church closed. Really bad. Because when we gather, according to 1 Timothy 2, in a dignified, godly way, we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our mayor. We pray for our governor, whether or not we agree with his mandates. We pray for him that the outcome of what happens would lead to more people knowing and seeing Jesus through the fruitful ministry of the church. I came back from vacation uh, when we landed, I got in the shuttle to take me to my car. I was the only guy in it. Amy and Sam were picking up this luggage, and I was the only guy in the shuttle, so I was like, okay, Lord, I guess you want me to talk about you to this guy because it's just the two of us. So I talked to him about, I just said, did you go to church for Christmas Eve or whatever? And then he talked about how the government was closing churches, and that annoyed him. I said, yeah, but did you go to church? <laughs> He said, no. And I laughed and I said, you hypocrite. <laughs> he said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then I just said to him, you know, you know what's wrong? Grocery stores have always been open because you can get bread there and you have to get bread there. But the bread they give you at church is more important than the bread they give you at the grocery store. Should never be closed. He said, wow, that's a great point. I said, I'll only believe that you think it's a great point if you actually go to church, dummy. And he laughed again. <laughs> the, the, the ministries of the church for the edification of the saints is for this reason, because it's so good for the church to be beautiful and to become like Christ, because God desires everyone to be saved, and we are the, are the greatest living magnet to draw people in when they see our godliness, they see our dignity, they see our love. Maybe we'll cover verses 3, uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7, maybe a little more closely, uh, maybe next week. I want to get to verse 8, but I want to show you one thing out of verses 5 and 6 about one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And this is just, my reason for sharing this is simply this. You ever, you ever get something and it was so helpful to you that you immediately want to share it with everyone you know? Well, last week on vacation, the book that I brought to read and I read when it was 78 degrees by the pool, bro. Sunburn, highlighted. My body was highlighted by the sun as I highlighted the book. It was beautiful. Um, same shade of pink. Um, this book was on prayer by Brian, Brian Chapel. It, the title is Praying Backwards. And on the subtitle, it's, he writes, In Jesus' name, amen. And then there's an X over the amen and it writes the word begin. So praying backwards, in Jesus' name, begin. He, he's not saying it's wrong to end your prayers by saying in Jesus' name, amen. But what he's saying is, I'm convicted by this. Sometimes prayer, this was so convicting to me. Sometimes prayer is just a, me just making an emotional stack of everything I'm afraid of, everything I'm annoyed by, everything that's buzzing around in my mind. This is all me. It's all from me. 
And then at the very end, I just throw it all in a folder labeled Jesus and get rid of it. In Jesus' name, amen. What if you began by saying, Jesus, you are the one that's most important. You are the one who's most beautiful. You are the one who I desire the most. And everything I'm about to list is because you are who you are, first in the name of Jesus. And the strange paradox is that the less self-oriented my prayers are and the more Jesus-oriented my prayers are, the strange paradox is, of course, the less self-oriented my prayers are, the happier, the more beautiful, the more fulfilled, the more satisfied myself will be. Because Jesus is good and Jesus is Lord and Jesus knows a thing or two more than I do about how to run my life. And so, so to, to sacrifice my selfish desires and put Jesus first is never a sacrifice. To sacrifice my selfish desires is to sacrifice wood, hay, and stubble and to get gold, silver, and precious stones. To put Jesus first. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. I'll put Jesus first. Church, first of all, what should we do? We should pray. What should we know and make known, first of all? Jesus. And then third, what should we stop, or what should we avoid, first of all? And this is just to touch on verse 8 before we close. We should avoid sinful anger and disunity and quarreling in the church. He says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Hands in themselves are neither holy nor unholy. They're just flesh and bone. But what you do with your hands sure is holy or unholy. I wonder if Paul had in mind Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has holy hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. This is the one who will dwell in the tabernacle of God. Or I wonder if Paul had in mind an awesome story in Exodus 17, the battle at Rephidim. And when I say in Exodus 17, it was the battle at Rephidim. When I say battle, I... I actually mean battle. Like sharp spears were flying through the air and impaling persons and killing them. That kind of battle. And in that battle at Rephidim, Moses, the general of the army, he did one thing. He went up on a hill and not, like, not for the reason that you would think. The general up on top of the hill usually looks and then he sends down a, a, a horse and rider to say, make a pincer movement here and move that squadron there. The one thing Moses did on the top of the hill was he lifted up his hands. And as his hands were only to the Lord, the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. But as the day wore on, his hands got tired and they drooped. And every time his hands drooped, the Amalekites would begin to prevail over the Israelites. So Moses' helpers used their hands to actually hold Moses' hands up so that his hands would be lifted up. And th th the point is, the battle is won through prayer, through lifting up holy hands to the Lord. 
And notice that he says, without anger or quarreling. What should we avoid? First of all, what should we avoid? Wrath, quarreling, disunity, sinful anger. Jesus sure got at this in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool to his brother will be liable to the fires of hell. Matthew 5, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Church, if we're going to get prayer first of all, first of all, what will wreck our prayer is this unreconciled, disunified quarreling and anger. Maybe unreconciled anger ruined your 2020. And I can cross out maybe because several of you, as I've met with you over the last couple of months, you have said as much to me that unreconciled anger has ruined your 2020. Do not let it ruin 2021. Forgive. Make it right. If you can come to relational harmony, come to it. If you cannot through your best efforts, then still give it up. Trust God with it as far as you're able. Forgive from your side and let it be gone. He says the danger is quarreling and dissension, arguments. He's saying the danger is instead of being united in prayer before God, we're going to argue with each other. One thing that 2020 has brought about better than any other year is reasons to argue. It's the champion of years in that department. We argued about the election all the way up till the election. And then as soon as the election happened, we began arguing about whether or not we should accept the results of the election. It just it never ends. The reasons we can argue. And again, in the public square, those things are worth being informed about. And as a citizen, it's worth using your voice to do this and that about those things. But within the worship of the church, let us not allow quarreling and anger to make our hands less holy and our arms less united with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here, Paul's concern is that arguing and quarreling will undermine our worship, will undermine our united prayer, which would ultimately, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, undermine our witness to the whole world about the reality of Jesus Christ. First of all, avoid sin and disunity. Avoid this quarreling and anger. Church, in 2020 and in 2021, church, we have an enemy who is powerfully arrayed against us. And the one thing that he wants is to stop us from worshiping Jesus by making and training more disciples of Jesus. That's the one thing that he wants to stop. I remember saying when we, years ago when we studied Ephesians 2, the enemy of the church is that the, the world dominates from without the flesh 
dominates from within and the devil dominates from beyond. The world is set against us from without because the world is constantly whispering, if not screaming, no, don't care about this, care about that. No, don't value this, value that. No, don't get excited about this. And the world is constantly trying to distract us. The flesh dominates from within. Even if the world was more pure than it is, our flesh is impure. We're proud, we're lustful, we're gossipy, we're, we're, we're egotistical. And so our flesh is constantly warring against us from within. But beyond the world and beyond the flesh, our enemy, the devil, he operates against us from beyond, trying to get us to disregard the word of God, trying to get us to devalue the corporate worship and the corporate unity of the church. Church, beware of the devil's schemes. And first of all, pray against them. Trust God and the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection against them. And then cease any type of quarreling and communication on your part that would play into the enemy's hands. And the amazing thing is, like we said, the, the more the more the concerns of the church supposedly become narrow, they become broader. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If we get on mission and we make and train more disciples of Jesus, just like Revelation 4, just like Revelation 5, just like 1 Timothy 2 says, then more persons of every nation and tribe and tongue, every economic background, every social kind of category, more diverse numbers of people will come to Jesus because we are exclusive that there is one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. So as the church stays focused on Jesus, what the church argues about narrows down. What we're united about is, is white hot. And this enables us to fulfill our mission in unity and in love. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people because this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, church, let us, let us have a compulsive focus on Christ and Christ's mission for us. Let us have an obsession about our unity in Christ, in gathered prayer, in gathered worship, so that we might witness to the neighbors all around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even now, let us lay aside the quarrelings, the dissensions. Lord Jesus, even now, let us lay aside our self-trust and our prayerless independence. And even now, Lord Jesus, first of all, let us pray. Even now, Lord Jesus, first of all, let our lives be riveted on knowing you and making you known. And Lord Jesus, even now in the year ahead, let this church first of all set herself against this needless quarreling and dissension that we might be united in worship and united in mission. We pray this, Jesus, in your great name. Amen. 
To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.